Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at you. I to and yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Real Talk, the podcast about all things materials. I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski, and this episode I'm joined by trombone player and all-round legend Steve Thompson to talk about brass. I started by asking Steve what made him take up the trombone. So I started the trombone when I was 11 on the uh, advice of my dad, uh, who, uh, let's say I wasn't necessarily the most gifted child, shall we say that. So my dad suggested that I play the trombone. Um, he was he was a trumpet player in his youth and a drummer, uh, amateur, but he did quite well and there was music in my family um, and that. So he suggested I play the trombone because, uh, his words, you can only get one note out of a trombone at a time. Actually not true, but thanks for your confidence vote, Dad. And also you can't play fast on a trombone, so it should be just <laughs> fine for you. So also not true, and thanks again for your confidence, Dad. So anyway, yeah, so it was my dad that got me into playing the trombone. And then, yeah, I went to music college for five years to learn how to play it about 4% better than when I started music college, but apparently that was five years well spent. Um, yeah, and then uh, since leaving college, I've just been a freelancer. So I played for lots of the the orchestras around and um, a lot of jazz and stuff. Uh, and yeah, and I'm also head of brass at a couple of colleges in, in London. Cool. So that's me. Any bands that listeners might have heard of? Uh, yeah, the Hackney Colliery Band have been keeping me very busy for the last seven or eight years. So I don't know when this is going out, but there's a new album for the Hackney Colliery Band, if I can plug that now. Yeah, sure. Or it might have already come out. So I don't know, whenever you're listening to this, so check out that. So that's very exciting. Brilliant. And I've got my own project as well, which is called 1201 Alarm, which is also got an album coming out. Nice. All the advertising done. What kind of music is that? So 1201 Alarm is a, is a, a very science orientated, actually. Yeah, Ooh. so... Each of the tracks on the album have been inspired by a bit of science or a scientist. Uh, so lots of really interesting stuff. So uh, your very own Helen Chertsky, who is at UCL, um, her, her track's called Bubbles. Nice. And I interviewed her about the scientific kind of process and, and uh, we've, we've uh, done that tune, Bubbles. And also uh, Richard Feynman plays on the album as well, which is amazing. Obviously, it's a posthumous thing, but um, a lot of people don't know he was a real, really keen bongo drummer. Really? Yeah. 
That's cool. I didn't yeah, know that. It's really cool. Yeah. So I got in touch with the estate and uh, Fireman actually plays bongos on the thing. So um, that's really good. That's uh, awesome. It's a really fun track. Yeah. <laughs> Along with Jim Alcalilli on guitar. Great. Helen played theremin. Yeah. Where was Michael? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I hadn't met you at that time. I definitely, okay. yeah. We have Marcus de Soto who's playing trumpet, actually, but we could have done oh, with another trumpet. That would have been never brilliant. Mind. So next time, sorry. <laughs> All I can think of with the bubble track is, um, have you ever done that thing where you stick a trumpet backwards so you like to go bell to bell with another instrument and you stick a trumpet down yes. and then you wiggle the valves and it's like... I didn't think of that. We should have done that. Yeah, yeah. If you stick it down like a tuba bell or something and yeah, then the anything. tuba player wiggles the bells. Yeah, 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 that's right. It works really well and gives that bubbly effect. Well, maybe we can do that for my bonus track on the album. Bonus track, I think we should, yeah. I think we can overdub some stuff. Let's let's do that. It's not out there yet, so we'll do it. You're hired. Yes, amazing. Um, so... You're here in the Real Talk studio to talk all things, unsurprisingly, brass. Yeah. Brass is just an alloy of copper and zinc. As I understand it, yeah. As we know. Yeah. Um, And it's a material that we've been using for sort of hundreds to thousands of years. But when we talk brass instruments, we don't necessarily always mean instruments that are made of the material brass. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Um, For me, it's the definition of a brass instrument, a very loose definition anyway, would be how you produce the sound, and that is by creating a vibration with your lips, creating what we call the buzz. So basically holding your lips together but then blowing air across them, and that's what creates the vibration which goes into a brass instrument. But of course that instrument could be made of anything. Most commonly it's made of brass, but um, with that definition, something like the didgeridoo, which was um, obviously from a completely different culture and you know evolved completely separately, that would be considered a brass instrument under this very, very loose definition. So, so yeah, if you dig a little bit deeper, brass instruments have been made of all sorts of stuff over the years. So, yeah, brass has been around for thousands of years, but we've been playing, air quotes, brass instruments for much, much longer than that. So what was right. kind of the origin of it? Well, I suppose the origin would be uh, like a conch shell or a, an animal horn or something, anything that you can basically blow into that kind of is, is vaguely cone-shaped. I suppose you could kind of create that buzz, as I say, uh, and then it makes a sound. So I don't know how many thousands of years they could go back, you know, we don't know. But the actual earliest trumpets or brass instruments that were in fact made of brass um, were found in Tutankhamun's uh, tomb when it was opened in the 30s, I believe it was. yeah. Yeah. Hello, this is Anna from the future. Just doing a date check on this. Turns out Tutankhamun's tomb was discovered by Howard Carter in 1922. So the, they found two um, trumpets there and uh, one of them was found with lots of military scenes like written around it as well and kind of like spears and things and, and weapons. So it was thought that the trumpet was kind of something to do with war and that's kind of dominated its history for quite a lot of Yeah. Them. Yeah. Um, interesting thing about those two trumpets though, they were actually played. They were played um, in 1939 by uh, one of the bandsmen, I think, one of the uh, military bandsmen, and it was recorded by the BBC. And then later on in 1939, war broke out. (laughs) So from that, they've decided, and this is a real thing, that these trumpets are magic trumpets and oh. they, they cause wars to happen. So I think allegedly a student played it in 1967 and then I think that was the Six-Day War in Egypt. So they've concluded brilliantly then. And, and I think this is actually people in, in authority, you know, I think it's one of the Egyptian ministers are saying that these trumpets should never be played again because of war breaking out. So that's kind of a disappointing <laughs> thing. That they, If they said, oh, we don't want to play them because they're too fragile and they might break. Sure. 
I would understand that a little bit more. But yeah. it's a bit of a shame that it's because they're magic <laughs> that we're not allowed to play them anymore. But like, still very interesting. Yeah, I like the idea of a cursed trumpet. It's great. I think it's great for tourism. Yeah. It's probably the tourism minister, the, the one that said it, actually, <laughs> <laughs> I suspect. I maybe know. so, yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe we shouldn't tempt fate in 2019. For... To be honest, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much a yeah, sceptic like everybody else. But yeah, I wouldn't go near them 2019. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the Egyptians then with their cursed trumpets. Where do yeah. we go from there? Well, so if we fast forward to maybe the Renaissance period, you get um, all sorts of instruments. So first of all, the sackbun, which um, we have music dating back to the about 400 years, roughly, um, for the sackbun. But we actually have evidence of a, of a, a paycheck written out to a sackbun player. Uh, from the 1300s. And I should say that a sackbutt is, is considered a medieval trombone, like a, an old-fashioned trombone. But actually that, that word is only really used in kind of English-speaking things. It, it's really the same instrument. The trombone hasn't really changed. It's it's always had a slide. It's always had the, the bell section where the noise comes out. Um, and it's always been pretty much, it's always been fully chromatic throughout its whole history. So it hasn't really changed. Trumpets and things have changed a little bit more because of the invention of the valve in, in the 1860s, I think it was, or mm-hmm. mid-1800s. Um, and that changed the instruments quite considerably. But um, going back into, yeah, Renaissance period, you had instruments like the um, uh, cornet. So not not a cornet, like a, a modern-day um, cornet is, is a, like a trumpet, but a, it's wound a little bit tighter, so a little bit smaller. The cornet is actually made of wood and it's like a kind of slightly, slightly bent, hollowed out stick. I think it's made of uh, ebony most of the time, um, but whatever, it's made of wood and then it's wrapped around with leather. And you put a mouthpiece in one end um, and the sound comes out the other end and a few holes that you use to change the note. So no valves at this point. So a bit like a clarinet. Yeah, it does look a lot like a clarinet, actually. Yeah. Yeah, but it's played differently because, of course, the clarinet you play with a reed, whereas... Uh, the cornet, you would buzz your lips like we've spoken about. So considered a brass instrument, even though it's not uh, actually made of brass. So just a cooler clarinet, basically. A cooler clarinet? I like that. Yeah, and I think all the cornet players out there would also like that as well. (laughs) Definitely. So then we experimented with all these different materials for making brass instruments and all these different sort of like shapes and ways of changing the notes and things. How did we come to the modern trombone after all that? Yeah, that's interesting. So I think trombones... As far as I can tell, because of the slide mechanism, have always been made of brass or what what I'm considering brass, so uh, an alloy of copper and zinc. But it's quite possible that there are different combinations of alloys and stuff that's made. But I think they've always been made of brass of different grades. And then the trombone hasn't really changed a lot over its history. So the the bell flare has got a little bit bigger once they worked out how to do that. And the bore size, so that's the, the size of the hole down the middle, has changed depending on different music throughout the ages and different fashions as well. But pretty much it's it stayed the same. So for jazz, you'd want a smaller bore size to make yeah, it Yeah, that's like. right. Yeah, the, the jazz tends to be, you tend to want the sound to be a lot more punchy uh, to kind of really cut through. Uh, and that works better with a smaller bore, bore size. But then if you're playing a, a lot of orchestral music, uh, we tend to want a, what we call a darker sound. Um, and a larger bore is usually... Um, uh, more useful for that. Strangely, we call that really the Germanic school. So I would consider myself a Germanic uh, player, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So I try, you know, aim for this big orchestral kind of Wagnerian sort of sound. Mm. Oddly enough, early German trombones were actually quite small boards. So it's kind of the, the sound that they were going for was 
despite their instruments rather than <laughs> because of them. But um, actually, uh, a guy called Dennis Wick, who was actually my teacher, was quite a, still is a big name in, in the world of trombone. He had a lot to do with changing attitudes to this around about the 1950s, in mm-hmm. fact. And, and a lot of orchestral um, trombones got a lot, lot bigger than they had been before because he wanted to distinguish them from the French horns, for example, because they could sound very similar if you have a smaller bore trombone. Yeah, no one wants to sound like a French horn. <laughs> no one wants to sound like <laughs> <laughs> We're making loads of energy. So yeah, I know. We've already... Strike off clarinet players, strike off French horn players, they're all chucking stuff out there. That's what brass players do best. Is yeah, that's true, offend people. Excellent. I'm glad that we're keeping that stereotype perpetuated. Nice. So brass then is a good a good material for making these types of instruments um, for, right. for various different reasons. One of which I've discovered is because it's got low friction, like low surface friction properties, right. which obviously is beneficial when you're sliding. Definitely when you're moving the slide. Bits of yeah. brass yeah. sort of over each other. And we make use of that in other areas, for example, brass locks or brass gears or zips are often made of brass yes. because they, you know, it slides over the each other very thing, nicely, yeah. which is which is really interesting. But you mentioned that there's different types of brass within brass instruments. Right. Yes, absolutely. So there, there are different grades of brass that you can use. I have to say, though, that really... This is quite low down on the on the things of that change the 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 timbre of the sound. Yet it is it, it is important. So really, it's the bore size and the size of the mouthpiece and the size of the bell. Also, the lead pipe they have a really big change, really big effect on the instrument sound. But the actual composition of the brass is also quite an important thing. But further down the list, so. Um, there's one type of brass which is called, uh, they call it yellow brass, which is um, I think around about 60% copper and the rest of it is zinc, presumably. And then it goes right up to red brass or rose brass, they sometimes call it, which is anywhere up to about 85 or 90% copper. And I think, I don't know, I think it makes it more malleable. I'm not really sure, but it does arguably change the, the wave pattern. So we should probably, is this time to go into this? I don't know. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the way that brass works as a material is that you have your copper atoms, which like to exist in a very distinct crystalline structure. So all their atoms are in a predictable place and they're all kind of squished in there in a really neat pattern. Um, Zinc is a very similar sized atom. And so it can go instead of a copper atom in that structure and not change it hugely, which is why copper and zinc are very compatible. And you can mix them with such different compositions from 60% to 90%. Right. And the material kind of can withstand that. Um, They're not exactly the same size atom. And so whenever you replace a copper atom with a zinc atom, you'll put a little bit of strain in that structure. And so the fewer zinc atoms you put in, in the 90% rose brass, for example, um, that will cause the least strain in the structure and therefore it will be much easier to kind of move the material around and make it more malleable and workable. Whereas the more zinc atoms you put in, the more strained the structure becomes. So the harder it is to work. I see. Okay, this is all new stuff to me. This is great. So would that change the acoustic properties of it though? Hmm. Hmm, great question. If we're talking about the acoustic properties of like a sound wave moving through the material, if that's just a physical wave where one atom bumps into its neighbour, bumps into its neighbour, bumps into its neighbour and transmits the wave in that way, then if you have a very slightly different sized atom or a different or a little bit of strain in that structure, that would impede the flow of that sound wave. Right. So I suppose it would affect it. I don't know exactly how. 
Right. But the effects, I would imagine, would be very, very slight. I imagine if we were to interview like a cymbal maker or a triangle maker or like a percussion instrument expert, I'm sure they would say that the, the alloy that you use is really it's important, very important. To the sound. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah yeah well this is the controversy actually that's out there because doing a little bit of research on uh, online um people get very very animated and irate when people have different opinions online i don't know if you've noticed <laughs> really? that yes <laughs> you get these little kind of twitter you know opinion grenades that go in and kind of blow up stuff and everybody <laughs> starts there was one guy that that um was very adamant that it would not change the acoustic properties of because what you're doing when you uh, play a trombone, for example, you create a standing wave and it doesn't matter what material that standing wave is created in, it is a standing wave and and anybody that thinks any differently is a complete idiot, you know, and uh, he was very irate about the whole thing. So it's a standing wave in the air that is contained in, in the, the pipe. Exactly right. Yeah. So it's not actually the material that's vibrating, whereas with, with a cymbal, it is the vibration or, or the uh, string of a uh, string instrument, for example, I guess. Yeah, yeah. you're nodding. So great. I'm, I'm doing that bit right. <laughs> um, I think that's a slightly oversimplified scientific model because the material is definitely going to have something to do with how the wave dissipates, right? Yeah. So again, I don't really know what the you know the science behind the the molecules and everything, the atoms and whatever, and how they're working. But I think it is fairly evident that they do behave differently if the trombone is made out of different materials. Yeah, because say you made a trombone out of jelly. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we should do this. <laughs> but also, um, jelly is a material that absorbs energy really well. So if you right. like poke a jelly, then it will like wibble wobble, but then eventually, quite quickly, it will stop wibble wobbling. Yes, um, because the material will absorb that energy. Whereas I feel like with brass and sort of harder materials or more sonorous materials, materials that are good at sound. Um, they don't. They will absorb that energy in a different way, and they'll help to support the vibration rather than absorb it and stop it. I yeah, guess. that that makes perfect sense. Yeah, so mm. I'm th- I'm definitely an advocate of the slightly more complicated scientific thing. So whoever that chat was online, he's wrong. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably was a chap, let's be honest. <laughs> um, I can't remember his name, but it was a he. I'm pretty sure. I don't know how relevant that is, but yeah, it was. <laughs> so this then brings us to brass instruments that are made of different materials in the modern day. So there's a there's a company set up, I'm going to say within the last 10 years. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, who have done away with brass totally and have started making brass instruments out of plastic that's correct yeah absolutely they're 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 pea bones plastic bones and for me i from not really thinking too much about the science of it from when i was a kid and everything it was just brass instruments are made of brass okay and and whenever i bought a new trombone and i still do this is probably the the equivalent of kicking the tires of a new car it doesn't really tell you anything but you can't buy a car without kicking the tires i give the bell a little ding Okay, and I hear if it rings. And if it rings nicely, that makes me feel good. If it kind of goes and stops, that's not a good trombone. So I don't think there's any value in that whatsoever. But that's (laughs) what I've done with every trombone I've ever bought since I was 11 years old. Um, So when I heard that they were making a plastic trombone, I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. That's not going to ding. And it absolutely doesn't ding. So um, amazingly, I saw online, you know, people playing these pea bones. And I was like, "Is really? Is this, how is this working? So I bought a pea bone. And yeah, they do work. They're absolutely amazing. They do work. The problem, I should say, the problem that they were trying to fix was not to make 
the trombone sound any better. And I have to be honest with P-Bones. I think they're, they're brilliant, they're great, but they do not improve the sound of a trombone. They are very much inferior. I don't think you'll be seeing a P-Bone played sensibly in the London Symphony Orchestra <laughs> at any time soon. No. I'm already wrong, but I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but what they were trying to do is make the trombone a little bit more accessible to, to younger people. So if you've got a, a kind of an eight-year-old kid or something, the trombone is very, very heavy. And, and as a teacher, I, I know that's an issue. So uh, P-bones are only 800 grams, so, and they're really portable, and they can almost mainly survive a fall down the stairs as well, which <laughs> metal trombones really don't. No. Disclaimer, please do not throw your P-bone down the stairs. <laughs> it doesn't do it any good, but it may survive. But yeah. Better than a brass trombone. So that's what they were trying to do. Um but that was still amazing to me that you can actually even get a sound out of a, of a P-bone. Yeah. And that comes to the, I guess, going back to what we've just spoken about, that it's maintaining, you are able to maintain that standing wave in the P-bone. The plastic that they use, I, I know nothing about grading of plastic or anything. Um, it, it doesn't resonate very well. It doesn't help the uh, the sound wave. So, yeah, it's not something that I kind of play professionally, but they do work. Yeah. yeah. So the plastic is ABS, which is the same stuff as Lego. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. Fun so fact. It's, it's almost like a Lego trombone. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> um, and the brilliant thing about plastic, obviously, is that it's, as you said, very, very lightweight. It can be very cheap. How much is a trombone? I P-bone? think they're just going for over £100 at the moment. And how so. much is a brass trombone? Well, they vary as well. So you, you, you can get cheaper made uh, trombones, maybe about 150 quid from China or something. But my 88H that I play on, uh, my question one is about 3,000 quid. So so there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's another motivation. <laughs> yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I've played a P trumpet, which is how was it? a plastic version. Um, plays really nicely in the middle of the range and up high, but down low, it it doesn't work at all. Yeah, I got to say again, I don't. I'm not don't want to be too critical about P bones, but um, in the lower register, they they are hard work. Uh, in the higher register. They they they're pretty good. So yes, yeah. yeah, I mean a lot of the promotional videos that came out were amazing jazz players like playing these incredible slow solos really up high, and it's like yeah. But actually, where the kids are going to play them down low, they're a little bit harder work to be honest. But they do work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, the promo video of the P trumpet was Alison Balsam playing Alison, something. Right. So yeah. Obviously, yeah. it sounded it's going to sound incredible because <laughs> she is unbelievable. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, you know, it it's great for people first getting into the absolutely. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what well, both my schools that I um, had a brass. Of, of, I've made them buy 10 each or something. So, um, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So can we try and hear the difference between a P-bone and a brass? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So I've got my 88H, which is uh, made by the Kong Company in Elkhart in Indiana. Uh, and like I said, that's about 3,000 quid's worth of trombone just under that at the moment. And then the P-bone, which I think we said was about £120, something like that at the moment. So you can hear the difference between these two. Um, so just to show, if I ding the bell of a P-bone, it's it's a clunk. <laughs> yeah. I get the yeah, please, yeah, let's, let's do, do the dings. And so this is the bell of my um, Con 88H trombone, which is about 20 years old, but it's a rose brass bell. It's nice nice gong sort of gorgeous sound, yeah know? yeah right so yeah definitely a difference between the two that's the difference yeah do you want to hear the dong of a very cheap trombone yes okay this is a student model trombone so this trombone will probably be about 200 pounds something like that it's got a yellow brass bell a little bit smaller and if i dong that oh yeah it's a bit i mean it, it dongs better than the plastic but yeah it's not quite so ringy. Doesn't it doesn't really? ring. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have to say this this trombone has probably seen better days. It's mm. a little bit dented. And it's got little um, red patches here, which I think is is uh, something called red rust, which I think is also called de-zincification. Okay. And I think it's where, I think, is, is it right saying that the zinc kind of comes away from the, the copper? Yeah. So like yeah. earlier we were saying that the zinc and the copper exist really nicely in their little crystal right. structure. In this example... Um, the zinc has sort of separated out and cause it to sort of rust on the surface. Right, so it's kind of like rust for brass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not good for a thing. It still functions, it still works, but it's not yeah. I think even in its high heyday, this wouldn't have rung quite as nice as the ATH bell. Yeah. Cool. So how are brass instruments made? So I'm sure there's lots of modern techniques that they use in, in China, which are uh, in particular, a lot of trombones are coming from man being manufactured in China really cheaply. And I can't imagine that those ones are made by hand. But there's the the, the ATH and uh, there's uh, Michael Rath in this country, very respected uh, trombone maker. They are made by hand and hammered. So essentially you start with a sheet of brass um, that you wrap around a steel rod and then you heat it and you hit it with a hammer and you heat it and you hit it with a hammer and you keep going back to kind of form a sort of cone shape. So we're kind of forming the beginning of the uh, the bell section. You have to do, I mean, it's lots and lots of work and you have to be like super skilled to do this. Um, and then you get a brass disc. So again, you've got a, a, another bit and you spin it around and work it into the shape of a bell and then kind of torch the two things together. Oh, okay, so they're separate pieces of metal. Yeah, that's right. I think that's how most of them are made because I think you can only flare the bell so much. So again, when you go back to sackbuts like the, uh, the the medieval um, kind of trombones for want of a better word then the bell was very very much smaller because they couldn't really flare them but right. now they, they seem to get you can have the, the much bigger bell yeah i mean i've spent a lot of my youth watching how trumpets are made on youtube oh right yeah yeah i think yeah. you because the trumpet bell is so much smaller you actually don't need to use a separate piece you can just right, flare that makes it sense. Yeah, yeah 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 i think for the larger ones i think that's probably still not even an option i think for yeah. i don't know the, um and then, of course, you've got to bend the pipes, and that's always a difficult thing because, of course, you're going to rupture the the um, metal. So th there's a really clever trick that I do. I don't really understand because what they what they do, they fill um, the pipes with water and then freeze it. 
so it's ice, and then bend the metal so that the ice kind of maintains the shape inside. Is what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. So I guess this is the problem where if you imagine trying to bend like a plas- uh, like a plastic straw in the pub, right? If you just bent it without anything inside, it would just fold and you'd end up yeah. with like a completely closed thing. Whereas like with this example, you can put something inside and it gives it that pressure from the inside so that you can bend Keeps it and it, it doesn't fold. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the next stage, which I think is a really important one that I suspect not every manage, manufacturer does, um, you you uh, stretch the pipe from inside by sticking ball bearings inside it to make it, yeah. What? And it's, I don't think it's actually to make it bigger. I don't think that's the motivation, but it is to make it flat inside. So essentially, when you, if you imagine you've just hammered it or whatever, however you've come to the, that position you are, it's actually bumpy inside the instrument. Because you've hammered it. Exactly, yeah. right. So that's going to affect how the sound wave holds. Yeah. And what you really want is something as smooth as you can possibly get it. So this ball bearing stage of sticking it through and just putting ball bearings through and kind of stretching the material gets rid of all those bumps. And you'll find that, I, I think anyway, that's why it's a lot easier to play a trombone that's gone through that process than one that hasn't. Um, so yeah, so holding that that standing wave, it has to be relatively easy for the, the musician to do because if it's difficult, you're going to have less scope for expression within the music. So if you have, if you essentially, if you have to really punch a note to make it happen, you've got less scope for making, yeah, ma- making it sound nice. So it's really important to have that kind of ease of playing a note. I, we kind of tend to refer to that as response, like it's got good response or it's got poor response. And I think it's got a lot to do with that process. So after the ball bearing stage, you've got loads of bits of trombone that you just then basically have to solder together. It's a relatively simple thing because it's just a slide uh, and a bell and then, of course, the mouthpiece in there. I should say as well that uh, the slide has um, an inner and an outer slide. So obviously the outer slide slides on the inner slide and you have to expand the bottom of the slide. So that stops air coming back through the pipe. And also it doesn't mean that it means that the slide is not rubbing all the way through the length of the slide. So there's some kind of little group, uh, little um, uh, expanded bits at the bottom. Cool. And then you have yourself a trombone. Yeah, it's about three metres long. And if you're making it from hand, it's probably about 50, 60 hours or something of, of wow. work that, that, yeah, I know that's why that's they can be quite expensive. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah. I've got one fun fact about brass oh yeah which is that um because of the high copper content it's actually antibacterial oh okay which is really interesting and good news for us because obviously we blow warm moist air into this enclosed space and then put it away in our trumpet cases and trombone cases and then take it out the next day and breathe in all of that warm moist (laughs) air again and i feel like without the antibacterial properties of copper we would all have horrible diseases all the time that yeah that's true um and I've heard also that silver is quite good at kind of uh, yes. yeah, sterilising stuff. So I think the silver mouthpiece happens. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that, that really helps. Um, I mean, that said, though, I think it's probably still a good idea to clean out your instrument from time to time. I mean, mm. I have, you know, I have heard sort of stories about, uh, I think sometimes it's even called trombonist lung. I don't know if that's... Ooh, I've heard, yeah, I've have heard you heard of, of that? Yeah. yeah. Where... If you don't clean out your instrument after a while, I mean, I think the copper has only got so many bacterial, <laughs> um, uh, antibacterial yeah. properties that you will get kind of mushrooms and goodness knows what growing inside and that won't do you any good. And people have, have, have had, you know, um, um, sort of chest infections and all sorts of nasty things oh, growing inside 
them because they breathe it in. So, mm. yeah. So I, th- that's a really interesting fact. But I think also wash out your trumpet yeah, I need to, <laughs> and your trumpet. I need to wash my trumpet out. Another so, fun yeah. fact about washing yeah. trumpets. My friend Sam Moffat, who I was at uni with and who's a fantastic trumpet player, once we decided to have like a trumpet cleaning session. <laughs> Oh, that's you need nice together. together. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah good. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. Um, and in his uni room, he had like a little ensuite bath. Right. And <laughs> that room and that bath used to belong back in the day to David Cameron. Oh, okay. So I'm like one step removed from like literally putting my lips onto David Cameron's bare bottom. That is quite disturbing. <laughs> Isn't so it? So <laughs> you've got a Kevin Bacon number of two to david cameron's bottom (laughs) (laughs) via my trumpet yeah by your truth that's really that's given me nightmares for for the rest of my life thank you for sharing (laughs) (laughs) me too believe me (laughs) so So, yeah don't always clean your trumpet no 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 oh my goodness yeah yeah (laughs) cool so if people have enjoyed listening to this episode i suppose they can always take up a brass instrument it's never too late you should definitely take up a brass instrument it's never too late Mm -hmm. um or people can go and like see brass in the wild go to concerts go and see some good good brassy people playing definitely do that because you all the things that we've been talking about the fine bits of acoustics and everything like that it's very very difficult to get that from a recording uh, however good your your stuff is and however good however well rather it's been recorded and everything so just definitely go and see brass live got Absolutely. any good recommendations i have you can always go and see the hackney colliery band they're awesome. And you can go and see my band, 1201 Alarm. We'll be playing lots of gigs soon. <laughs> cool. So how can people find out when those are? Where are you online? Uh, so Twitter, I think I'm Steve T Music. Uh, the band is 1201, that's 1201 underscore alarm. That works well, doesn't it? Yep. Really thought that through. Uh, 1201alarm.com. Uh, what else? Great. That'll do. Yeah, awesome. Get in touch. Say hey. Well, thanks so much for coming on Real Talk. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fascinating. So that was the brilliant Steve Thompson. Thanks so much to him for coming on the show. Now, before you go, I've got a little bit of bonus content here for you by way of an experiment. A trombonus, if you will. Here I am back with Steve to explain more. So we've thought of an experiment with the trombone that no one has ever done before. I don't think so, yeah. Well, it's not on YouTube, so that means no one's ever no done one's it. No one's ever before. done it. <laughs> it's conclusive. <laughs> um, do you want to introduce the experiment? Well, so, yeah. So I was at a lecture um, a few months ago with uh, Mark Miodovnik, who is, I believe, your boss. Is that right? He is my boss and also former Real Talk contributor. Contributor. Excellent. And um, in this particular lecture, he um, had uh, a bell that was made out of lead, I believe, mm. which is a terrible substance to make a bell out of it because it doesn't ring at all, right? So he, he demonstrated that by ringing this bell and nothing happened. So so then what he did, he dipped the lead bell into some liquid nitrogen, which is around about minus 200-ish something degrees. Uh, and that changed the property of the material. And all of a sudden it behaved like an actual bell. So it kind of rang. So I kind of thought, well, okay, would that work on a trombone bell? So if we stuck that in liquid nitrogen, would that change the properties? Would it make it easier to play? Would it make it brighter? Would it make it louder? I don't know. What would it do? So do you have any liquid nitrogen on you by any chance? 
Not on my person, <laughs> although I have been known to bring dangerous substances into the studio. <laughs> no, but we do have the wonderful Andrea Sello ah, Andrea. on our side, who's going to give us a little helping hand. Let's go do it. You must wear safety glasses. Okay. Okay, now what's going to happen is that there's going to be a jet of very, very cold liquid coming out of there. <laughs> you ready? That. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> So we left the bell of the trombone in liquid nitrogen for about a minute and then Steve gave it a blow. We decided to dip the plastic pea bone to see what would happen. you can really hear the difference on this recording so at the end of the experiment Steve summed up for us his findings so uh, it was what it's not a particularly good trombone it's a kind of student model it's a little bit past its its best mm. let's say a few dents and dings and stuff on it uh, and the red rust as we mentioned but uh, it, um, it respond it seemed to respond a lot lot better once it had been put through the once it was cryo once it was cryo it seemed to respond a lot lot better exactly yes so in the upper register sorry in the upper dynamics it really noticed as well so uh, at room temperature when I was tanking it out the note would kind of destroy where we got a little bit too loud Uh, but it seemed to be able to take it once it had been cryoed it seemed to be able to take as much as I could give it and it didn't really destroy which is quite yeah quite impressive Uh, what's What's interesting is it doesn't last. So as soon as it started to warm up, I could literally feel the response going back to how it was. Yeah, it was quite amazing That's actually. Really cool. Yeah, it did. Yeah, so it kind of lost it once. Once it even, I don't know what temperature it was going back to, but yeah, it heading towards room temperature. The difference on the pea bone wasn't quite as much as I thought it would be. Mm. Um, so it did improve the response, and it did improve um, uh, the the upper dynamics. Um, and also, it was a little bit easier to get the, the dodgy notes, the higher notes as well. So the top D is, is a tricky note to get. And, you know, uh, it's a little bit flat on this one, but you wouldn't expect anybody to play a top D on these the plastic no. trombones. It's not built for that sort of thing. 
so it's not a major issue but it was interesting that it did ring quite nicely yeah you know um, I still think I would say that neither of the two trombones that we cryoed were as as strong as the 88H at room temperature right so, so I think cryogenically freezing a trombone before a performance is probably not the way forward for general performances usually I, I, I think I can make that bold claim <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh, well money well spent then on the Money well spent on the 88H, <laughs> definitely, you. yeah. But I'm also thinking of investing in some, you know, cryogenic uh, liquid nitrogen. So I'd just give it a dip before I go on stage. You never know. It might just make that little tiny difference. Give you the edge. You've got about 30 second window before it seems to heat up. Yeah, yeah. Just play really quickly. Yeah, but great fun. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. So this really is the end of the episode now. A huge thanks to Andrea Seller for supplying a frankly stupid amount of liquid nitrogen and for allowing us to dip stuff in it. You can see videos of our cryobone experiment on the Real Talk website on the episode page for this episode or over on our YouTube channel, which is called Real Talk TV. As always, you can say hi to us on Twitter at Real Talk, R-I-A-L Talk. We always love to hear from you. Have you ever dipped an instrument in liquid nitrogen? Let us know. So that's everything for this time. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. So thanks for listening and see you next time on Real Talk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.